Welcome to Confronting Christian Culture, a podcast where we address the issues found in old lessons and expectations. Welcome back, everyone, to another episode of Confronting Christian Culture. This week, we are looking at some a new topic, and I've got today with me Angie. Say hi, Angie. Hey, Joy. Hi, everyone that's listening. <laughs> Uh, so Angie, what fun topic can we rip apart this week? I want to talk about, uh, young people in the church and by young people, I specifically mean, uh, birth through 30. Okay. Now I'm 30. I would not consider myself young anymore. I would consider myself decrepit. Um, (laughs) I agree. I'm approaching that number as well. And I agree. However, Based off of interactions that I have currently and previously had with church people, 30 is still young. As I'm reminded very frequently. Mm. And I'm sure by the most loving of people. Yes. Meaning it very kindly. I, 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 okay, yeah, 30 is it relatively, it is very young. So what focal point for this or what, what, what's, your, what's the lesson that you learned that you like, want to really dig into? Um, I think that if, uh, so my thesis, if we mm-hmm. want to really get professional here, Ooh. thesis is if the church uh, intends to continue on, uh, we need to start taking our young people seriously and treating them like children of God and like respecting their perspectives and their opinions and their beliefs. I think that so far, you know, I've, I'm, I'm going to be 30 in like a week and a half. And so far, I don't necessarily feel like, you know, my opinions as a young person in church have really felt respected and treated with the same um, weight that someone that has lived a longer life than me has. And it's very frustrating. Yeah, I can... Uh, that, yeah, that resonates pretty well with me. I, having turned 30 in 2019, I turned 30. You're so old. <laughs> yeah, I'm well aware. My 31st is coming up, and I just, that kind of just <laughs> hit me. Why did that have to hit me today? All right. Why not? <laughs> yeah, I can understand that, like, you know, I remember being young and being told, just wait till you get older, you'll change your mind. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I remember being told that I'd be more conservative when I got older. Um, I, I was told that a lot. Yeah, that is Wait not till you're older. You'll, you'll understand. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying to now, like, now I'm, like, frantically thinking back into my time in ministry, being like, did I do that to my youth? And I'm thinking, right. and I don't think I did. I think I tried to always encourage them to question and to search and to keep digging. When I, especially whenever they came up with ideas that I was like, that's weird and not helpful. So I would always encourage them to keep digging and keep researching and keep thinking about it. But I don't think I explicitly told them you'll change your mind when you're aged or whenever life beats you down or whatever. Like, Right. I'm sure that I have, but I think it was about like stupid stuff, like things I, that are like not related to like, you know, ministry or faith at all. Like, I don't like snickers and i'm like you'll change your mind when you're older <laughs> stupid crap like that oh uh, yeah i can see i know i did that especially with a couple of my kids who were very much into a lot of the nerd culture i was uh mm-hmm. yeah when they talked to me about pokemon i'd be like <laughs> okay 
I'm like, you think, you think the new stuff is the best. Fine, whatever. You're wrong, but it's fine. Right. Stuff that doesn't really matter, except no. us personally. But yeah, but like, for the most part, I, you know, because you and I have both been in youth ministry as like youth leaders. And so mm-hmm. that was one thing that I, you know, tried my hardest to not do was to, you know, to shut them down and, and not make them feel like they were a part of the church, which a lot of, you know, churches do. Yeah. I've served in, so the church that we're currently at, I'm helping my husband with a youth group, not paid to do that, by the way, so you're welcome. And I've previously been paid to be a youth leader at another church, and then I, like, volunteered at a different church. So I've been working, like, youth leadership in, like, three different churches so far, and with the exception of the one that we're currently at, the other two have had very similar trends with the way that they treat the youth and based off of conversations I've had with other youth leaders it seems to be across the board similarly you know the way churches treat their young people yeah so I think that if churches want to stay alive they need to encourage their young people to be members of churches because sooner or later those old people are going to die and when they're gone who's going to replace them yeah yeah (laughs) I, I'm really not to be morbid, but no, like... no. But you're accurate. Like that is, I feel like that's the the mentality is is a lot of like. Because I remember hearing, I remember hearing it when I was in youth group, being told that the youth ministry is the future of the church. Like that is our the church's future yeah. is in the is in the youth ministry and is in the children's ministry, and and this idea that like yes, the older people are going to die as time inevitably catches up and they just pass on. But I think they've put so much like emphasis on that. They then also like, I, I don't know. I, I've, I've found churches that have said that to me a lot. Didn't care what the youth did because they didn't want the, what the youth were doing to impact what the old people were doing, which I remember growing up was what church was. Right. Like church was, Lando is also, my cat is also very vocal about his understanding of youth ministry. Thank you, Lando. He's very passionate about young people. Yep. I know he is, he is an old, old bull dude. Um, but I remember being told like the youth were very important. It was very important that the youth be involved in the church, but ultimately like we weren't, allowed to be we i think it was one day a year we were allowed to have a service uh we didn't have anybody on council or even like the youth pastors we had were just like they they were seen as second class pastors yeah or they were seen in like the not real ministry until you start congregational ministry right right all right so like let's Let's break it down because I, I was really in the in the flip the other day and so like I like broke it down into like four different categories of young people and how each of them are treated in the church and how harmful that is and so like well, the first category I have is like zero to five so like from birth to around five years old that's like preschool is when you start yeah and though that age group is like churches offer child care so that parents can drop their kids off and then go to church. Now, granted, that's nice for some parents. I get it. I don't want to take that away. I don't necessarily think zero to five healthcare or childcare is bad. Um, 
but the the fact that we as you know congregants feel like we need to sh like if you hear a child crying in church like parents are like embarrassed like that is like something that is seen as shameful yeah the old people don't want to be interrupted they don't want to hear children crying. They don't want to do any of the stuff. So like you have to remove yourself immediately and then apologize, which I think is absurd. Like my husband and I love when we hear kids cry or, you know, do things in church. Like we find it uplifting. It's like new life, breathing new life into our church. But these older people, if a child cries, like you're being a bad parent, you need to remove that. And you're, you're interrupting my experience because apparently my experience in church is hindered by the cries of the, the infant. Yeah, yeah. Which I think uh, is absurd. I, I agree. I think that is absolutely ridiculous. But now it is for now I've I can say I I don't have kids. Um but neither do I. Let's preface that. We yeah, don't have we, we don't have children. Um, we're not parents. So I yeah I can understand like uh, having preached and being you know a, a, having been a pastor and everything I did not give a crap whenever I heard children crying in service. In fact, I often played off of it. Yeah, that's what my husband does. He does the same thing. Like that, it just you can use, and and you know I often would tell like the parent afterwards if I did play off like their kid crying or their kid making a noise, I would play off. I would go to the parent like after the service and be like. Do not feel embarrassed. I loved it. Right. I absolutely loved that your kid uh, yelled out no in the middle of my sermon when I was like, who he, or like, you know, I ask a question and nobody else answers, but the kid screams out his answer. I love it. Yeah, it's um, great. And it's, and it bring and yeah, most of the time it made everybody laugh. It made everybody really enjoy it. And I would always encourage the kid to do it again. I'd encourage the parents to like, don't, do not punish that kid for that. That was amazing. I loved it. Right. But I can understand from having nieces and nephews and having gone to church with them, like sometimes the kids are just, they don't want to sit down. They don't want to pay attention. They don't want to, they don't want to be small adults in church right. service. So it is a little frustrating. Right. So yeah. And that's like, why I don't want to shame people for taking their kids to, to daycare, but I also don't want to shame people for not taking their kids to daycare. And I think that part is the part that upsets me the most is mm -hmm. when one genuinely just wants their kid to experience church where they don't want to do, you know, the daycare and they want to spend time with their kid. And then the kid, you know, if it's an infant, they cry because, you know, of any number of things or, yeah. if, you know, a toddler and they say something silly, like, I don't want people to feel shame for that. And I don't want people to shame them for that because that to me is harmful to the parents and to the kids because that is formative. Like kids, mm -hmm. kids absorb more than we think that they do. And for them to feel unwelcome in a place is not good, especially in a place of worship. Like that's not good. Yeah, no, that's not at all. But then we can go to my second category, which is uh, six to 11, which is not young enough to be in daycare, but not old enough to be in youth group. And they're usually the Sunday school kids that go off. And the church that I'm at now doesn't offer Sunday school during worship, mm -hmm. but most every other church that I know offers Sunday school 
during worship. And so they start worship in church and then they're like, okay, now the pastor's gonna get ready for a sermon. So everyone leave because you're not old enough to understand what he's saying. So let me spoon feed you some bullshit Sunday school stuff and give you cookies so that you don't interrupt the pastor while they're preaching. Yeah. Um, now, I, I, we never called it, growing up, we never called it Sunday school. That was always like kids' church. Um, right. But did no, you learn about church? Um, we got church bucks, which we could buy gifts and prizes whenever, but we got those by being good, knowing our memory verses and finding, pa- and like doing like uh, fire drills, which is not, fi- now fire, no, fire drills aren't like, like what we would do in like a school or an actual building is the, what they call, they call fire drills. I'm pretty sure they still call them fire drills. Um, sword drills. Annie apparently learned them as sword drills. I remember them as fire drills. Sword or fire drills are whenever like you would stand beside your chair or behind a chair with a Bible on it. Somebody would tell you a passage. You had to go sit down on the seat and open up the Bible and find the passage, stand up before the other person. That's ridiculous. It, it was for Bible memorization. It was for knowing where in the Bible certain books were and all this kind of stuff, um, which didn't work if you had like 18 different versions of the Bible. Because like, yeah, the books are all in the same spot, but like I have... Uh, I have a very, I have a new Testament, I have a new Testament Bible, but I also have like an archeological Bible and there's so much extra stuff in the back of the archeological Bible that I'm like, yeah, none of that that I learned is helpful because it's all muscle memory of where uh, certain pages and certain Mm -hmm. length of the Bible. So it's not really helpful. Um, But that's, that is my memory of church of children's church. Right. So my problem that I generally have with it is that you're teaching kids that they don't belong mm-hmm. because they have to go, they have to leave. Um, and so that sense of belonging, I think, sticks with them. Like, well, I don't belong here. My parents send me to this other place. They're not, they're not necessarily learning about church. Like they're not learning that they belong in church. They're not learning how to behave in church. They're not learning the meaning of what church service is. They don't necessarily, like you're not teaching them how to be in worship and why they belong in worship. You're just spoon feeding them Bible verses for them to memorize, which isn't necessarily bad. Like I'm not trying to say that that's bad. It's just, you're also, you're removing them from corporate worship to teach them memory verses, which could be done after church. I just, that, that's my thing is why do we have to remove them from a worship service and give them this feeling that they don't belong in this service and t- take them and do something else that could be done afterwards. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can see that. Uh, now, now again, you called it Sunday school. So do I have a question? Like I have, in my denomination, we have Sunday school before, often before service. Do I think you... it's children's church. I think I'm just confusing them. I okay. do it at our church. So it's been four years since I've actually like, like heard the lingo, but I think you're right. I think it is considered children's church. 
before they leave and then school is afterwards okay just because i was like sunday school uh but like i i actually did some reading on on this whole thing and apparently like sunday school like the origin of sunday school was very much at like it's not even like related it's it's christian foundations but not even like a part of church churches like adopted it and like brought it into them in like the 1800s and was like oh this is what we want great and then they've like made it their thing but i i can tell you like i remember especially with like going back to kids church i don't remember feeling kicked out of service but I do definitely remember the time whenever I got older and I no longer was allowed to go there. I felt, mm. I did feel kicked out of that. I felt kicked out of kids church. I felt kicked out mm. that I could no longer do that. And I think part of me then, instead of feeling bad about that, because it's supposed to be a good thing, you've now graduated to this thing. I then started to look down on kids church. I started looking mm-hmm. down on the people that attended kids church and being like, you're not, you know, old enough to understand and all this kind of stuff. And right. I, think, I think that is for me where a lot of like danger can come out of like, we've rejected kids into staying with corporate worship and staying with the adults and staying with everybody to really learn how it is to worship together. Mm-hmm. And so by doing that, we've like, created this us versus them thing in the kids that are now getting out of that kids are that are graduating we would say from kids church and saying oh well now we're old enough we're now 12 we know how to do worship you guys are just doing kids stuff but do they no they don't (laughs) right no they don't they're then thrust back in to corporate worship where they don't like they they don't quite get what's going on but they think they should you know and it's that sort of weird like there's they never I feel like they never feel like they belong anywhere because they're constantly being shuffled around Mm -hmm. constantly being moved around they don't necessarily know how to behave because the way that you interact in uh, children's church is not the way that you interact in corporate worship yeah and so they're constantly having to shift focus on what to do and what not to do and there's they either resent not being in children's church anymore or they resent being taken away and taken it like there's it it never feels like I don't know it just I feel like it's confusing Brandon I didn't do any of this because I didn't go to church until I was an adult but it just like working with the kids it just I felt like it was like disorienting for them yeah really know where you belong anymore you're taken away to do this thing and then you're told you can't do that anymore and then you're put back in this other place and then you're still not valued as a a member though like that's Mm -hmm. the youth group is like the two churches that i've had prior to this one that i've worked in youth ministry youth group was this like weird anomaly where they thought it was important youth group is very important um, they would give them lots of money, but if you would ask them to help, they were too busy doing X, Y, Z, other things. They could only give their money. They couldn't give their time. They couldn't give any mental capital to it, only monetary. And the only value 
they brought to the church was entertainment or performance or whatever. You know, that one youth Sunday where, oh, good, please perform the Bible for me. Mm, how progressive we are that we have our young people perform for us on Sunday. Yay, yay, yay. Or their manual labor. Like, oh, we need someone to go weed the garden. You think the youth group could do that? Oh. No. No, I don't think they could. Do you, I don't think, you know, 12 to 18 year olds would really have any value in weeding the garden. Maybe you could do it. Maybe you could help us do it. Maybe that's the thing. Maybe ask us if we'd like to help you. Don't just pawn off things that you don't want to do to the kids because they're younger than you. And, and don't then say, we'll give a donation because you're not giving a donation. That is a pay, that is payment. That is a payment for right. a transaction. Like I got that so much so much right. uh, and the worst part for my kids was that most of them couldn't drive and if they did they just had their permit so i'm like you're not asking the youth to do this you're asking the parents to take time off of work to drive them to your house to do this thing which you and then you'll give us a hundred dollar donation because let's be honest it was not going to be near what you know labor would actually require for a team of kids to come out and and weed their garden and take care of their lawn or one thing which i was asked was to rebuild a patio yeah i was asked i was asked by the kids being like like oh our patio is falling apart can you help us rebuild it we'll we'll you know we'll bring out the kids they'd love it we'll give a donation i was like uh, you're talking about your, for, for the kids that we had was a couple 12-year-olds, a 16-year-old, uh, and a 14-year-old. I'm, yeah. like, I'm like, they, none of them have handled power tools ever in their life. They, do, they have no desire to do any of this. I'm not going to be like, hey, guys, for a fun activity, we're going to do labor. <laughs> yeah. Invite your friends. Yeah, it's, it's just frustrating because I don't, and, and I've had, even here, I've had a couple people because here we're actually pretty good at mm. both respecting the opinions of the youth. Like prime example that I, I think is like the most like exceptional example I've ever seen in my life is we have a fall festival every year at our church and we've done it for like five or six years. And it's a Halloween party, but we're not allowed to call it that. So it's a fall festival where we do like trunk or treat and we have like games that are like Halloween themed and they have candy and all this stuff. And it has been created and spearheaded. At the time she was nine. She started this when she was nine. And the, and the whole congregation was like, that's a great idea. And they let her do it. This nine-year-old led a group of adults into doing a fall festival and she still is in charge of it and she's 14 now and wow. it's like the most important thing that to me because one of my because I, I asked one of my kids uh one of my older kids you know coming into today if he had anything he wanted me to say and he was like well our church is kind of different i mean prime example is you know nine-year-old starting a fall festival and them just allowing her to do it and my first thought was, if the previous two churches had a nine-year-old that came up to them and asked to do a fall festival, they would have utterly ignored her. And then a day later, an older man would have brought up the same idea, and they all would have said, this is an amazing idea, Fred. Why don't we go do that? And then they would have done it and ignored the nine-year-old and pretended that they never brought it up. Yeah, that's exactly what would have happened. My yeah. gosh. Oh. 
So it's like, my church is relatively impressive in that regard, but like, it's just, it's incredible the amount of just complete ignorance. Like they, I think they want to understand that the youth group is important because they say it. Mm -hmm. Do they behave that way? Absolutely not. And it's frustrating because the kids know, like the kids know they're not stupid. They know how you feel. They get it. Yep. No, yeah. I, to this day, I know all the people that helped with uh, my youth group. And when I was, when I was in youth group, when I was a kid, I know all the adults that helped out with it or mm -hmm. like actually invested time with us. None of them are now at the church. Right. Uh, none, uh, like I'm, I'm actually pretty sure. Yeah, no, none of them. Uh, the last person to be there was my mother. Yeah. And, and I'm like, yeah, that's, that is the mentality was the, you give money and then you let them do their thing once they get old. And I remember being told this when I went to college and I'm sure this is probably your like last grouping, but like, I remember being told like, I'd be coming back. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I'm just like that's a joke. <laughs> that's a joke. Uh, yeah, that's a joke um, though, because you're treated like you know second class congregant. Mm. The age that you do confirmation, right? Confirmation is a, a, like around 12, 13 years old. Yeah. So that's when you go through this stupid class that you know drills into your brain all the polity and all of you know your church specific, you know. Uh, theology and all that stuff and then in our sometimes we have tests do you guys do tests for confirmation I don't remember a test but we some might churches still will, some churches will do a test especially if it's a membership class when you're an adult oh, yeah. there's yeah. a test I don't know if there's a test for the kids um, but then they then they have to go stand in front of the congregation and, and they're confirmed and stuff and then they're a member of the church but they don't feel that way like, I remember one of our kids, we were like, okay, now you're a, a you know, a full voting acting member. And they were like, what? Were like, yeah, technically, you are able to vote in anything that we have votes for in the church. And she like, like, did not, like, she didn't understand. She's like, but like, I don't, I don't get it. Like, I'm not, but they don't care about about what I have to say. Like, why, like, why would I get a vote? <laughs> what you do, you do get one. Like, you get to vote, guys. Yeah. But yeah, I, and I was talking to, um, especially now, so like, Gen Z is youth group. Mm -hmm. And younger, I think. So like, youth group right now is Gen Z. They are so fucking smart. Like, sometimes they scare me. Mm -hmm. With how intelligent they are. And if you think about it, it's because they've always grown up with access to the entire internet's worth of information. Like they've always had it. Anytime they had a question, they immediately could find the answer and then more about that answer. And they just like, they just suck it all in. And they just, they just know so much information that it's, it, it freaks me out sometimes with just like the way that they talk is so similar to the way that we talk, not the way we used to talk when we were their age. No adults like they use words and i'm like you're 12 like why are you using these words like it doesn't it doesn't make any sense and i as a millennial we're pretty adaptable and sometimes i have a hard time keeping up with them so i cannot imagine 
being a boomer trying to keep up with them. Like, I just can't. So I do feel a little bad for them, but at the same time, you have to adapt. They're the future of the world and your church. So you need to treat them with respect and understand that they actually do have relatively fully formed opinions right now because they have access to a lot of information. Yes. Them the ability to make pretty thoroughly thought out ideas and opinions. Yeah. And to just brush them aside, I feel like is, is detrimental to the future. It's just detrimental. Like one of my kids was, I asked him about, you know, if there's anything he wanted me to bring up. And he, he was like, he doesn't feel like the congregation is meeting him where he is. Hmm. Because he doesn't want to have these basic Sunday school conversations anymore. Like he's a senior in college or in uh, high school. Hmm. He doesn't, he like, honestly, he was like, I thought for the longest time that Sunday school was like it because no one else wanted to have any other conversations with me. Like this basic Sunday school level education and theology, like he just assumes that that's where everyone's at because no one else wants to think deeper and he's not satisfied with that. And so anytime he would go to Bible studies or anything like that, no one wanted to ask questions, no one wanted yeah. to question anything. No one wanted to say that they were doubting it. They just kind of were like, okay, let's accept this basic, you know, Jesus is love, answer, and move on. And that was, that's infuriating to him. Mm -hmm. And I get it. Yeah. I mean, I have a different experience in youth group because I didn't go to a church youth group, but like I've been around other youth leaders and they don't necessarily encourage their kids to like question things. They just have these answers prepared based off of whatever denomination that you're in. And those are the answers that you get to these questions. And if you ask any more questions, they're just going to shut you down. Mm -hmm. Yep. I just, I don't, I don't get it. Um, it doesn't make sense. It is counterintuitive. I mean, listeners for just to, I guess, get to know me a little bit, Angie, I know you were involved with CIA, mm -hmm. uh, not the government organization, but the CIA, what I'm talking about is what we called church in action that started in, oh gosh. Um, it was in high school. You guys yeah, I'm trying to think 2006. That sounds right. Yeah, because Ethan was in high school. Yeah, we were freshmen, you were sophomore. Yeah, so, and, and that honestly, it all started because Pastor Ethan and Nick uh, and myself, we all had questions about the Bible, and we all had mm -hmm. questions that, like, we didn't feel comfortable going. I, you know, Nick talked last time about how he wasn't really a Christian at this point, uh, and Ethan, honestly, was really struggling with this whole Christian thing. I was very much in the, like, I've... I've put my place in this Christian spot. So now that I'm here, what the heck is it? What does this mean about, as a teenage boy, what does this mean about sex? What does this mean about mm -hmm. uh, money? What does this mean about how I'm supposed to look at the world? What does this mean about how I'm supposed to go through this high school? Um, what does it mean for the rest of my life? And so we ha all had these kind of questions of what the heck is this Christianity thing? Uh, and luckily, uh robin and mark uh the the parents of ethan uh invited us in to have those kind of conversations because they were willing to have those conversations and not just be like well the bible says this what they actually told us was let's look at what the bible says and we found contradictory things on almost every question mm -hmm. 
that we asked. And they were like, huh, that's very interesting. Let's keep digging. And so because of their encouragement for us to dig deeper into the questions we had, we all three became pastors. Mm -hmm. And we all three have been like, we actually need to encourage kids to keep questioning. So like, I think I can adamantly say, I don't agree with the format we have our 12 to 16 year, 12 to 18 year olds in. And we don't oh, yeah. like, like it just, it's infuriating that we really hinder their questioning and really hinder them uh, exploring and finding the deep, rich tapestry that is Christianity. Mm-hmm. Right. There's a, there's a formula. Youth group has a formula. And unfortunately, it's a good formula for children um, to be kids. It's not a great formula for children to be disciples, in my opinion. Um, I shouldn't say children, they're teenagers. It's a little different, but you know, you come in and you feed them and then you play a bunch of cool games and then you, uh, play some cool songs that the kids can, you know, jam out to. And then you do a little bit of, of Bible study, which I say in quotations, cause really it's just, let's read some scripture and let's have a youth pastor talk to you about what it means. Yeah. Usually sitting backwards on a chair. Right. But they also like have like a, you know, a hoodie and a tattoo and stuff, which I don't want to say is stupid because we both have those things, but like, you know. We were both at this moment wearing hoodies and both have tattoos. I'm well aware <laughs> of the irony here. <laughs> but we're well, sitting correctly on chairs, people. That's true. That's true. We are. We're sitting correctly in chairs. Um, but yeah, and so that's, that's not how our youth group was. Our youth group, if... if, if it was, let's all, they did feed us, which was wonderful. And I appreciate them. Yeah. Um, they did feed us. But then we sat down and they were like, hey, what do you guys want to talk about? And then we would all sit there for a moment until one brave person, you know, says, you know, I've been really struggling with this thing. And then they were like, okay, awesome. Well, let's dig into it. Is anyone else struggling with that thing? Okay, cool. Here's, you know, some Bible verses that let, let's read these Bible verses. What are you getting out of these? What do you what do you think this means? Do you does anything upset you? Do you agree with this? Okay, let's look at this then on the other side. Okay, how do you feel? And then we'd all talk about it. And they encouraged us to interpret it ourselves. They didn't spoon feed us what they think the Bible meant. They encouraged us to dig about what we thought the Bible meant. Yeah. And that helped us grow. And and frankly, I'm pretty sure if we look at the statistics, I think well over half, if not three quarters of the people that went through that Bible study for any significant period of time or in ministry in some way. Uh, no doubt. But in like truthful, faithful, encouraging ministry, not just like, you know, stale, you know, wolf ministry. And I think that is telling. Because mm-hmm. that's I want to encourage kids because they are people, you know, I want them to feel like they're people. I want them to feel like they can have their own opinions, to feel like they can interpret the Bible the way that God is telling them and not the way that I was taught or not the way that, you know, Jim over there was taught or, you know, Pastor Bill or whatever. Like, look at it and how do you feel? Like, granted, there are theological things that we're going to teach them, Mm -hmm. obviously. But we also want them to question. Questioning is important. You can't have faith if it's not questioned. Like, that just seems ridiculous. To just have blind faith in something that you've never questioned or had doubts in, that, that, that 
I don't, I don't believe in that. Like, I don't think that's real. Yeah. I don't think you can really have faith in something if you haven't questioned it. Correct. And we're not kids to do that. The model right now is not to teach our kids to do that. Yeah. It's, it's to shame them for questioning. It's to shame them for doubting. Right. Like, look at Peter. (laughs) Honestly, look at Christ. Right. Christ in the garden of Gethsemane is at that point asking God to just take it away. Being like, is there any other way? Can I not do this? Like even he was like hope asking questions. Even he was trying to figure something out, but ultimately, you know, but Christ does give in or not give in, but he does accept God's will, his own, you know, the will of God. But we also, we see this in John the Baptist. We see this in all the disciples we see this in everybody. If, if by ignoring it, we are just ignoring our own humanity. Yeah. Yeah. And it's sad. And then, you know, where do they go from there? Cause that's the thing is then they go to college where, I mean, for the most part, they're taught to question things. They're taught to, to dig into things. Like they're taught how to do these things. And then they're left with no one to ask questions to because they can't come back to youth group because they're over 18. Mm -hmm. They don't feel like they can go anywhere else because they weren't invited to anything else in churches. Like youth group is where the 12 to 18 year olds go. They technically were not uninvited to Bible studies, but they sure shit didn't feel comfortable in Bible studies. So where do they go? Yeah. A lot of times to bad choices. <laughs> yeah. No. Um, wow. You just saying like invited, like I'm, I remember being invited to children's church. I remember being invited to youth group. Mm-hmm. I do not ever remember somebody being like, please join us in the cert. Like, you know, join us in this, join us in, in, you know, corporate worship. Like I. Right. Like, I remember them, like, you know, yelling from the pulpit, like, oh, there's a Bible study, go to that. But I don't remember being, like, individually invited to things anymore. Right. And it seems silly, but that very, very simple idea of inviting children, inviting kids, inviting young people to participate in ministries that include older generations, Mm -hmm. it's so important. Mm -hmm. They don't naturally feel included, invited, or belonging in any of those spaces. And so they're not just going to volunteer to go. You might get one or two very bold kids to go, but holistically, it's not going to happen unless you invite them. Mm-hmm. And once they're invited, then encourage them to like that they belong and encourage them that they are you know welcome. But it's just that simple act of inviting people that just doesn't happen. And it's yeah. very upsetting. Yeah. Especially because, the, you know, we have one of our youth that goes to the Bible study that, you know, my husband does. and They love it. Like both him and the other adults that are there get so much out of having the intergenerational like community there, which I think is vital to the, the growth of church is having intergenerational worship and intergenerational Bible studies and intergenerational Sunday schools. Like those things are so important. Mm-hmm. They, 
the older generations can learn so much from the younger generations. They are I mean, we're constantly told that we as younger people can learn from the older generations, but I don't think the older generations realize how much we bring to the table and they won't unless they invite us to that table and they haven't. Yeah. Because that brings me to our, our age group. Well, not to be yours, but our age group, <laughs> 18, 19 to about 30, because that's college age kids who don't have anywhere to go because they aren't home to go back to church, generally speaking. Mm -hmm. They don't have, you know, the boldness to go to a new church because that in and of itself is terrifying. Going to a new church? No, thank you. I would rather throw up and sleep in. <laughs> new church. No, thanks. Um, and then, you know, then they go home and they have, they get jobs and they just, you know, they've just spent four years not going to church. So why bother again? Yeah. Or, or if they do, then they still don't feel valued because up to that point in their lives, they did not feel valued in church and they still feel like they don't have enough life experience to have any, and they're told, frankly, I've been told that I don't have enough life experience to add any value to conversations. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Like you were told that to your face. Yeah. Yeah. I was told one time and, and it stuck with me. Yeah. It's, it's like sticking with me. I'm just like, I, how I got to ask, how did you react to that? Well, I was like, this was like five or six years ago mm -hmm. and I didn't know what to say. And so I just like, I stayed quiet and I never went back. Yeah. I, 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 why would you? Why would you go back? You're not wanted there. Yeah. So it's, it's like, what do you do? And then like, but then like, what do you do then when you're 31, 35, you know, you're starting families, you, you feel like you have, like, I just, I don't know. Like, how do we move forward from this? Like, how, how do I move forward in a church that I don't necessarily feel values my opinion? How, how do you, how do you ask, you know, you know, 15 year olds, 18 year olds, 25 year olds to invest in both like in their time, in their energy and, you know, in the future monetarily, how do you ask them to invest in an institution that has not felt like they belong in? Like, how do you, how do you ask them to invest in an institution that never made them feel belonging? Yeah, that didn't welcome them, that didn't want right. them there, that didn't respect their opinions, that didn't even, that freaking told them straight out that you don't have enough life experience to be, what was it? To have value. To have value, have value. in a conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Things have changed, guys. Like, if you want your church to continue being a church, you need to make changes. You need to invite kids and young people and teenagers to your things. You need to, ex like, you need to welcome them. You need to invite them. You need to encourage them. You need to, you know, hold their opinions with some kind of weight. You need to take their advice. You need to learn from them and with them. You need to 
you know, have them be a valuable member of your congregation or eventually they're not coming back and your church will die. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, and I know I've, I've been watching the statistics uh, over the past couple of years and because I, I, you know, rem- I remember being told when I started college and I didn't go, like I still had my home church right down the road from my college and I yeah. didn't go. I, I liked the pastor. His preaching was really good. I hated the worship service. I hated like a lot of the aspects of the church. So I just didn't go for the most time. And most of the time that I did go, I felt guilted into going by my mother and my parents mm. and my family. Um, and then when I did go, I felt guilted there for not being there all the time. Um, and so like, and I, but I remember then being told like kids always come back when they start families. And you talked about that a little, like, what do we do at 30, 35? Like when people are starting families now, like, honestly, majority of people aren't going. Majority of people are saying like, yeah, I remember doing that. There's a lot of trauma that is built up around that I've built. Oh, like, you know, there's a bunch of trauma from my time in churches. So why would I subject my children to that? Right. And I don't blame those parents. I don't either. They're trying to protect their kids from the trauma they experienced. That is a good parent. Perhaps (laughs) we have to say, maybe the churches have been bad churches. Maybe the Christians have been bad Christians to to subject kids to that trauma in the first place. Like it's, but no, you're right. Like we, churches need to drastically change their view of minis- of children's ministry and youth ministry to survive. Yeah. Let alone the idea of growth. Like they just to survive, you need to change. Right, because it's not even just about church attendance, though. Like we're talking about, you know, our generation is not as wealthy. <laughs> what? As, I know, right? It's so shocking. But our generation is not going to be as wealthy as generations before us. So you have these older people who are relatively wealthy in comparison to us. Mm-hmm. All When they die, so does their money. How are you going to pay your bills? Like, it is, I am not even talking so much about church attendance. When I'm talking about church death, I am talking about monetary death. Because I don't care how many people you have in your pews. If you're not paying your bills, it's not happening. Mm-hmm. You can't mortgage it's not happening and i'm not saying that we're this kind of like you know secret stash of cash because we're absolutely not but if you get enough of us to come like we we you know we're your golden ticket and if you keep treating us like hot garbage you're not going to see it yeah do our own thing yeah now that we're morbid now that we're just more sad than we already were (laughs) honestly that you say that i'm not i'm hopeful because yeah there i mean in my lifetime i know in our lifetimes we're gonna see the death of a bunch of churches we're gonna see the death of so many church buildings like i'm like right now my favorite thing to do is to go on to like uh house hunting spots and finding old churches that have been Mm -hmm. renovated because those are some beautiful places i won't ever be able to afford them but they are beautiful to look at (laughs) right like, yeah, it's it's going to be sad because so many churches are dying. But you know what? That's fine. 
I'm okay with churches dying because that just means the ones that aren't, maybe they're doing something right. Right. And like to give like a little bit of hope, the church that we're currently at, I think is doing a great job with our kids. Like I genuinely do. Mm-hmm. Um, they, even before Nick and I got there, because when Nick and I got here, we, uh, we essentially started a youth group from the ground up, which is pretty impressive. Um, but even before that, you know, like I said, the, the fall festival was, you know, led by a nine-year-old and that was at least five years ago. Yeah. That was, we got here and, you know, they always had their kids involved in things and they always, I mean, they didn't have a lot, but the ones that they did have, they did treat well. Um, you know, they, they appreciate when kids come to things, they invite the kids to come to things. And, you know, sometimes they do hiccup a little bit when they ask the kids to clean the clothing room. And I'm like, no, that's, they're not manual labor, but generally speaking, you know, they want their kids in worship. They don't take, they don't have children's church. They don't believe in it. They don't, don't think it's a good idea. Um, they do Sunday school after church, but they don't do anything during church. They want kids to be in church services. They love when the kids participate in church services. One of our kids uh, does pulpit supply for us when we're on vacation. <laughs> That's awesome. So, yeah, so it's not just Youth Sunday. It's like, hey, you're 17. The you know, congregation loves you. Do you want to fill in? Because we're not going to be here on Sunday. And he's like, yeah, sure. And they love it. And so those are things that they're doing very right. And it's a, it's a, it's a huge shame that we are in the middle of nowhere because if we were closer to like more kids, I think they would be thriving. Mm -hmm. Unfortunately, we're a little more rural. So we're as thriving as we can be. Like, it's just those simple things, you know, like letting kids know that you respect them, letting the kids know that you want them there, letting the kids know that they belong. It goes a long way. Yeah. I, I think it's honestly really important that you guys are rural because I feel like so many things that I've looked at for like children's ministry and kid and youth ministry has been like, Oh, if you have 30 kids or 20 or you know 40 kids, this is going to work. And so rural places often see that and they're like, Oh, well we can't have a good ministry. If, right. if, cause we don't have that many people. You guys have a great ministry. How many kids do you have? Um, we average, uh, right now, because we're all virtual, we only average like six, but when we were in person before the pandemic, we were averaging 12 or 13. Yeah, that is a small youth group, but you guys mm-hmm. are making such an impact. Yeah, like, like it's, it's every kid matters. Like that's, that is what is important, is that we treat every kid like they matter and they mm-hmm. belong. Doesn't matter if we have 65 kids, doesn't matter if we have 150 kids, doesn't matter if we have three kids, doesn't matter if we have two kids. We're going to do youth group the way that we do youth group. They all get opinions. They all get to ask questions. They all get to feel like they belong. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I think that's super important. I think churches need to remember that like rural or in cities, like kids, we often speak down on kids and on our youth whenever they can, they can run circles around us when it comes to, finding answers online when it comes to researching right now like yeah i know my nephew he's not the best on the internet yet but he's getting there uh he's he's he's, still little (laughs) he is well yeah he's he's just now like he's now just leaving that second bracket into the youth group age so like he can't possibly be that old joy he was only two years ago (laughs) 
oh, oh, Angie, no. Angie, no, he's in the youth group now. Don't hurt me like this. <laughs> We're old, Angie. Oh. He's, he is nearly, uh, he is closer to the age that whenever we met and we, st- and, and CIA started, than we are. Clo- like, that, that's upsetting to me. Yeah, yeah, it is. Wow. <laughs> Treat your kids well. Yes, and they all matter. Mm. All right. Well, Angie, thank you so much for this terrifying but very inspirational conversation today. I actually, I, I'm very happy with it. Um, I'm very happy with like what you guys have been doing up there. Oh, thank uh, you. If people wanted to uh, like find you on Twitter, how would they do that? Uh, my Twitter an- handle is at Ange McMichael. So it's A N G. M-C-M-I-C-H-A-E-L. Are you very active on that? Not super. I have an occasional quip that I think is pretty funny, but I'm not overly, I'm not a very, I mean, I'm one of those millennials that likes to live in the moment and I forget social media exists. So like I'll have spurts of little Twitter, like Twitter activity and then I'll be like MIA for like a month and a half. Yeah, that sounds about right. Well, you know, and, you know, what's a month and a half in 2020? It's like five years. <laughs> right. Or a week. Or a week. Yeah, or an minutes. hour. Who knows? <laughs> what, what, what is time? It is an illusion. Yeah. Uh, thank you, listener, for listening to Confronting Christian Culture. Again, if you have any lessons you would like discussed here, you can tweet at us at CXCPod. That's CXCPod. Thanks. Have a great day. Thanks for listening. If you have a lesson you would like discussed, feel free to tweet at CXCPod. That's CXCPod.